You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone. If you listen to several podcasts, I bet you've heard about surveys, and you're about to hear about another one. It would be a huge benefit to the podcast if you could head on over to surveymonkey.com r airwave, or just click the link in the episode show notes. There will be a bunch of questions about who you are and how you listen and what you like about the podcast, which I know is basically everything. Now, it shouldn't take you longer than about 10 minutes. It's important for the show as a way for us to get more advertisers and maybe provide some feedback to me uh, about how this thing should go in the future. So if you take your time to fill it out, just know that you have my personal thanks. Hello, everyone, and welcome to History of the Second World War, member episode preview Polish Foreign Documents. This is the fourth of what will be seven member episodes that will be released here on the main podcast feed for your listening pleasure. It's also the fourth in a series of episodes that focus on the diplomatic communications between the various governments of Europe before the start of the Second World War. A massive thank you goes out to everyone who has supported the podcast by becoming members over the years. They are why this episode exists. As a reminder, this is part of a seven-week break of new mainline podcast episodes as I take a bit of a break and prepare for season three, which will begin in mid-April 2023. For more information on all of the podcasts sort of schedule for the rest of 2023, check out the link in the show notes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to History of the Second World War, Members Episode 26, Polish-German Documents. This is the fourth and final of this series of episodes, which has tried to dig a bit deeper into some of the primary sources that we have that detail the interactions that the various governments around Europe were having in the years before the war. This time, we're going to dive into the official documents concerning Polish, German, and Polish-Soviet relations, 1933 to 1939. The collection of documents is mostly detailed from the Polish side of the conversations, with a few lengthy quotes from official German and Soviet sources, particularly around speeches given by Hitler and Stalin in the mid and late 1930s. I don't think I pull from any of those speeches during this episode, mostly because we've touched on some of them in others. 
This episode will be broken down into three sections, with the first discussing a few topics around the pre-1939 relations between Germany and Poland, then the second section will track the quick deterioration of German-Polish relations during the summer of 1939, before the final section will look at some of the communications that the Polish government would have with other national governments around Europe in the wake of first the German invasion and then the Soviet invasion two weeks later. We will start with an agreement made between Poland and Germany in late 1937, which would be titled The Declaration by the Polish and German Governments on the Subject of the Treatment of Minorities. This type of agreement was very common in Eastern Europe during this period, with Poland signing a similar agreement with several other neighboring nations. The reasons that these were signed was due to the priority placed by many nations on the idea that ethnic groups of people needed their own nations, and that their home nation needed to ensure that all of their ethnic group was well treated no matter where they lived. This could be the Germans who lived in Poland, the Poles who lived in Czechoslovakia, the Hungarians who lived in Romania, or any other combination. For all of the nations of Eastern Europe, there were always many minority ethnicities due to how groups had mingled and then how borders were drawn after the collapse and retreat of various empires like the Ottoman, Russian, and Austro-Hungarians. The core of all of these agreements was simply that the nations wanted to make sure that the members of their core ethnic group who lived in other nations were treated fairly and not discriminated against. These types of agreements were often heavily supported by groups within both nations, but also from external sources. For example, France often pushed the nations to sign agreements after the First World War in the hopes that this would prevent nations from fighting amongst themselves so that they could enjoy greater cooperation both among themselves and with France against Germany. The agreement signed between Germany and Poland was a pretty late example of this type of treaty, but the wording was largely representative of many of them. Here's a somewhat lengthy poll from the agreement that was signed. Quote, For this reason, the two governments declare with satisfaction that their two states, each within the limits of their own sovereignty, regard as essential the following guiding principles. Mutual respect for German and Polish nationality naturally should exclude any attempt to assimilate the minority by force to question the character of the minority or to hinder the individual's rights to claim membership in a minority. Members of the minority have a right to the free use of their mother tongue in speech and writing and their personal and economic relations in the press and in public meetings. The minority may establish and maintain schools employing its own language. The above principles can in no way affect the duty of the minorities to give complete loyalty to the state to which they belong. End quote. This agreement is mostly interesting due to how big of a role the treatment of German minorities would play in German propaganda efforts before the war. Germany would claim that the Polish government was allowing violence against Germans, and that it was even supporting it, claiming that in doing so, the Polish government was breaking the agreement that it had signed, and therefore Germany had cause for war. The situation would be directly addressed by the Polish Embassy in Berlin on August 26, 1939, in a lengthy memorandum on the claims being made by the German government about the treatment of German minorities in Poland and the treatment of Polish individuals in Germany. Here are a few highlights. Quote, the German press is carrying on a systemic and violent press campaign in which the situation of the German minority in Poland is being discussed tendentiously and in a manner entirely out of accord with the facts. This campaign bears a remarkable resemblance to that waged last year against Czechoslovakia, except that the present propaganda is being carried on with far greater intensity than on that occasion. 
Today, the German government's conduct is not veiled by even the flimsiest of pretexts, and this clearly indicates that the German authorities do not now count on any negotiations in future. In the national socialist system, there is fundamentally no place for any group outside the German nation, far less for those non-German elements who for centuries have been linked with their own soil. Though down to recent months, the existence of the Polish minority has been tolerated in Germany, the reason for this was the desire to maintain a hostage against the German minority in Poland. The fact that since April last, there are known to have been more than 1,000 separate cases of acts of violence against Poles proves the dimensions of the campaign being waged against them. These are all cases known from the Polish press in Germany, which is censored by German authorities and so cannot risk reporting every incident. End quote. While the nations had signed multiple agreements, on the German side, the question of Danzig and the Polish corridor would always remain. The two nations approached the conversations about the corridor very differently. On the German side, they were working under the assumption that major revisions to the corridor were not just reasonable, but would eventually be made. This caused Ribbentrop to lead off discussions with ways that Germans you know, could fix or change the corridor to their satisfaction, especially by giving Germany far more access, generally revolving around just handing Danzig over to Germany and then giving Germany the rights to build a railway and a highway through the Polish corridor, both being made part of German sovereign territory. This basic outline was discussed as early as October 1938, Here's a message from the Polish ambassador in Berlin, Lipski, to Polish Foreign Minister Beck on October 25th, 1938. Quote, In a conversation on October 24th, Ribbentrop put forward a proposal for a general settlement of issues between Poland and Germany. This included the reunion of Danzig with the Reich, while Poland would be assured the retention of railway and economic facilities there. Poland would agree to the building of an extraterritorial motor road and railway line across Pomors. In exchange, Mr. von Ribbentrop mentioned the possibility of an extension of the Polish-German agreement by 25 years and a guarantee of Polish-German frontiers, end quote. This same basic conversation would happen time and time again over the next 10 months before the start of the war. There were many notes like this one whenever Ribbentrop and Beck would meet. In this case, this is from January 27th, 1939. Quote, the main theme of the conversation between Mr. Beck and Mr. von Ribbentrop was the Danzig question. Mr. Beck categorically rejected Mr. von Ribbentrop's postulate as to the extraterritoriality of a motor road across Pomors. End quote. The overall tenor of Polish notes from these conversations I would summarize as, how many different ways can, can we say no? Because we're just going to keep saying no. Danzig would become a major point of concern for Polish authorities in and around the city during the summer of 1939, as there was growing evidence that many German men of military age had been moved into the city in an effort to stir up greater resistance to Polish authority and to possibly prepare for future action. Here is a note from the head Polish official in Danzig to Beck on August 28, 1939. Quote, the daily increasing incidents in Danzig render it impossible to put into effect the rights to which Poland is entitled in the port. The situation that has been created makes it impossible for Poland to utilize the port of Danzig for Polish commerce and shipping. So far as manpower is concerned, I estimate the military forces in the Danzig area to be about 18,000 men, including the detachments of SS, SA, and Hitler Youth, who are entrusted with special functions throughout the entire organization. End quote. 
While Danzig would eventually be a primary point of criticism by the German government which would lead to the war, it was not the only point of contention between the two nations. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own? With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, exhaust kits, turbochargers, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. The German invasion of Czechoslovakia was a cause of concern, particularly the extension of German control into Slovakia, which increased the length of the frontier between the two nations. A few days after the German troops moved in, Lipsky would report on the conversation with von Ribbentrop by saying, quote, I stress that since 1934, our public opinion had been put to considerable trials. Nevertheless, it remained quiet. I stated that now, during the settlement of the Czechoslovakian question, there was no understanding whatever between us. The Czech issue had already, was already hard for the Polish public to swallow, for despite our disputes with the Czechs, they were still all a Slav people. But in regard to Slovakia, the position was far worse. I emphasized our community of race, language, and religion, and mentioned that the help we had given to their achievement of independence. I pointed out our long frontier with Slovakia. I indicated that the Polish man in the street could not understand why the Reich had assumed the protection of Slovakia, that protection being directed against Poland. I said emphatically that this question was a serious blow to our relations. End quote. The discussions between Germany and Lithuania were an additional cause of concern and seemed to point to the possibility of a rapid deterioration of relations between Germany and Poland. Here is Beck sending a note to Lipsky on March 25th, 1939. Quote, Please add at the same time that we must now devote great attention to our mutual relations, for owing to Germany's latest steps in regard to both Slovakia and Lithuania, of which the Polish government were not informed, even at the last moment, although they concern territories situated right on the frontiers of the Polish Republic, the general atmosphere demands clarification and the methods of progress utilized by both the governments must be chosen with particular caution, end quote. 
As we discussed on a few different episodes, a major moment for Poland would be the signing of the agreement with Britain. Beck, in his role as foreign minister, would speak to the Polish Diet about the agreement on May 5, 1939, to address both the new agreement and what it meant for Polish-German relations. Quote, It was possible to establish rapidly the principles of Polish and Britain collaboration. First of all, because we made it clear to each other that the intentions of both governments coincide as regards to fundamental European problems. Certainly neither Great Britain nor Poland has any aggressive intentions whatsoever, but they stand equally firmly in defense of certain basic principles of conduct in international life. Even for the simplest understanding, it is clear that neither the character nor the purpose and scope of the agreement influenced this decision of the German government to exit the 1934 agreement but merely the fact that such an agreement had been concluded. And this in turn is important for an appreciation of the objects of German policy, since if, contrary to previous declaration, the government of the Reich interpreted the Polish-German Declaration of Non-Aggression of 1934 as intended to isolate Poland and to prevent the normal friendly collaboration of our country with the Western powers, we ourselves should always have rejected such an interpretation. Peace is certainly the object of the difficult and intensive work of Polish diplomacy, if such conversations take place, the Polish government will, according to their custom, approach the problem objectively, having regard to the experience of recent times, but without withholding their utmost goodwill. End quote. I like that the in regard to the experience of recent times is clearly just about Munich. You know, they do not want it to be Czechoslovakia. The relationship with Britain would take on greater importance in the last half of August, as intentions were clearly rising, with Beck making multiple guarantees that the Polish government was willing to enter into any reasonable negotiation effort with Germany, as was reiterated in a written note given from Beck to British Ambassador Kennard on August 21st. Quote, Polish government confirmed their readiness, as has previously been expressed for a direct exchange of views with the German government on the basis proposed by British government and communicated by Lord Halifax's telegram on August 28th. Polish government are also prepared on the reciprocal basis to give the formal guarantee that in the event of negotiations taking place, Polish troops will not violate the frontiers of German Reich provided a corresponding guarantee is given regarding non-violation of frontiers of Poland by troops of the German Reich. End quote. While the official invasion of Poland would not begin until September 1st, late on August 31st, it was already quite clear that an invasion was basically guaranteed to happen. The first indication was the fact that Ribbentrop and the German stonewalled the last attempts by Lipsky to set up some kind of negotiations. The problem was that Lipsky was not given full ability and power to negotiate and reach agreements on the behalf of the Polish government, with Hitler and the Germans had basically demanded that a single person was given all these powers and then put in a room with them so that they could basically just browbeat them to giving the Germans favorable terms just like it happened before. Lipsky would see Ribbentrop with a message from Beck, and Lipsky would send to Warsaw this summary at 10.30 p.m. on the 31st, so just hours before the invasion began. Quote, I was received by Mr. von Ribbentrop at 6.30 p.m. I carried out my instructions. Mr. von Ribbentrop asked if I had special plenipotentiary power to undertake negotiations. I said no. He then asked whether I had been informed that on London's suggestion the German government had expressed their readiness to negotiate directly with a delegate of the Polish government furnished with the requisite full powers who was to arrive the preceding day on August 30th. I replied that I had no direct information on the subject. In conclusion, Mr. von Ribbentrop repeated that I he had thought I would have been empowered to negotiate. End quote. 
At roughly the same time, a message would be received from Danzig that would say, quote, We have received information from an authoritative source that detachments of German troops from East Prussia have crossed the German-Danzig frontier, end quote. After the German invasion started, there would of course be massive amounts of communication that would occur both within the Polish government as well as with other governments around Europe. Here is a part of Communique No. 1, issued by the military headquarters on September 1, 1939. Quote, on September 1, 1939, in the early morning, Germany invaded our territory by a surprise attack from the air and on land, without a declaration of war. Simultaneously with the air attacks, the German land forces opened operations, invading our territory at various points. The frontier battles are continuing. The fiercest struggle is going on in Cilicia. So far, we have destroyed by artillery fire and enemy armored train, captured the tender and its crew. Several tanks have been put out of action. In various places, we have taken prisoners. In Danzig, three attacks on Westerplatte have been repulsed. End quote. On the same day, a public proclamation would be made to the people of Poland from the government. And it would say, quote, Citizens, during the course of the last night, our age-old enemy commenced offensive operations against the Polish state. I affirm this before God and history. At this historic moment, I appeal to all citizens of the country in the profound conviction that the entire nation will rally around its commander-in-chief and armed forces to defend its liberty, independence, and honor, and to give the aggressor a worthy answer, as has happened already more than once in the history of Polish-German relations. The entire nation, blessed by God in its struggle for a just and sacred cause, and united with its army, will march in serried ranks with the struggle to the struggle into final victory. End quote. While information was being shared internally, Beck was very busy communicating with Poland representatives in London and Paris. During the first 48 hours of the war, many of these communications revolved around the simple question of whether or not France and Britain would be joining the war. Here is one from Beck to the Polish ambassador in Paris from September 1st. Quote, the Polish government, resolved to defend the independence and honor of Poland to the end, expresses its conviction that in accordance with the existing treaties of alliance, in this struggle it will receive immediate help from its allies. End quote. And then here's another one to the Polish ambassador in London on September 2nd. Quote, Today the struggles all along the front are acquiring a very serious character. German attacks are meeting everywhere with very energetic resistance on our part. The greatest difficulty confronting our troops arises from the employment of almost the entire German air force. It is not only bombing military objectives, but also factories and even villages. In these conditions, allied decisions which would tie up a considerable part of the German air force are a concern of all. Please inform the government to which you are accredited immediately. Him just saying that, that the, the Polish ambassador should let the British government know this message as soon as possible. Now, it would not be until the next day that Britain and France would actually enter the war. While the Polish army was attempting to slow the German invasion, on September 17th, the Soviet Union would invade eastern Poland. The Polish representative in Moscow was informed that this was happening on September 17th at 3 a.m. Here is the message that was then sent to Warsaw about the meeting. Quote, Mr. Potemkin sent for me today, September 17th at 3 a.m., and read me a note from his government signed by Premier Molotov. The note communicates that the Soviet government has ordered its troops to cross the Polish frontier. The motives given in the note were of such a nature that I refused to take into cognizance and categorically protested against its contents. In view of the absence of Soviet diplomatic representation from Poland, I agreed only to transmit the above information. I await instructions. End quote. Along with the summary of the conversations that were had, an official note from the Soviet government was also sent at the same time, which said, quote, 
The Polish-German war has revealed the internal bankruptcy of the Polish state. During the course of 10 days hostilities, Poland has lost all of her industrial areas and cultural centers. Warsaw no longer exists as the capital of Poland. The Polish government has disintegrated and no longer shows any signs of life. This means that the Polish state and its government have, in fact, ceased to exist. Left to her own devices and bereft of leadership, Poland has become a suitable field for all manner of hazards and surprises which may constitute a threat to the USSR. For these reasons, the Soviet government, with, which, which hitherto has preserved neutrality, cannot any longer observe a neutral attitude towards these facts. At the same time, the Soviet government proposed to take all measures to extricate the Polish people from the unfortunate war into which they were dragged by their unwise leaders and to enable them to live a peaceful life. End quote. To summarize, the Soviet Union believed that it wasn't invading Poland because it was claiming that Poland no longer existed. Now, while it would be of little immediate help, the Polish government felt obligated to counteract the message of the Soviet note, which would make its way to other governments, you know, claiming Poland no longer existed. Here is the official response as relayed to the world from the Polish embassy in London. Quote, the pretext which the Soviet government advanced in order to justify its flagrant act of direct aggression is that the Polish government has ceased to exist and that it has abandoned the territory of Poland, thus leaving the Polish population on territories outside the zone of war with Germany without protection. The Polish government cannot enter into any discussion of the pretext which the Soviet government has invented in order to justify the violation of the Polish frontier. This is just kind of the beginning of the relationship between the Polish government as it existed in independent Poland on September 1st, 1939, and the Soviet Union, uh, which would you know take over Poland, so part of Poland in 1939, lose it in 1941, uh, get it all back at the end of the war. It's a very complicated story that we will certainly be touching on a lot in the future, but this is kind of where it begins, with the Soviet Union claiming that the Polish government doesn't exist anymore, and the Polish government being like, no, no, we're still here. Thank you for listening and for supporting the podcast. Next month's member episode kind of returns to a more classic form. We're going to track the evolution of the aircraft carrier um, for a bit um, after these kind of uh, diplomatic conversations that we've been having over the last several months.